Hi, I'm Jason Hatcher, Managing Principal of Navigator's Western Operations. Welcome to the Western Edge, a Navigator podcast featuring the latest perspectives on Western Canada's biggest stories. This week, we're bringing you a very special edition of the Western Edge, recorded with a live audience at a recent event hosted by Navigator, where we revealed new research on the Alberta political landscape. We entitled the event, Alberta's Mindset, Road to 2023. This week, I'm joined by Kelly Kreiderman, reporter and columnist with The Globe and Mail, Deborah Yedlin, President and CEO of the Calgary Chamber of Commerce, and my colleague, Lauren Armstrong, Senior Consultant at Navigator's Edmonton office. We will be discussing some of the highlights of our research, including current voting intentions of Albertans, and identified potential defectors from the UCP, Spoiler alert, those are boomers and Calgarians, and ultimately what is motivating them to vote, what we think that all means for the road to 2023. If you want to see some of the research firsthand, it is available on Navigator's website and linked in the description of this episode. Feel free to check out that as a primer to this conversation. Before we dive in, my colleague Randy Dawson is going to kick us off. He's a managing principal at Navigator as well. And he's going to give us his insight on what the landscape is for seat projections and what and where we should all be keeping our eye on in the coming months. We're headed down the road to 2023, and this is the Western Edge. Let me wrap it up by painting a picture of numbers. I'm a numbers guy. So as one who's done campaigns in the past, I just sort of look at this, at the numbers, right? There are 87 ridings in Alberta. <clears throat> the winner needs 45. Let's start with the UCP. There are 25 truly rural seats in four suburban Calgary ridings that I believe are in the UCP column. That means they start with 29 seats in the bank. The NDP starts out with 20 seats in Fortress Edmonton, and it is Fortress Edmonton. So that's the UCP 29 and the NDP 20. There are 38 seats up for grabs, 26 in Calgary, seven in the capital region around Edmonton, one in Banff, Kananaskis, I know that, I used to live there, <laughs> two in Lethbridge, and two in Red Deer. Those are the battleground seats. The UCP, in addition to their 29, needs 16 seats to remain in government. The NDP, with 20 seats, needs to win an additional 25 to win government. This election has just begun. Well, good morning, everybody. That was quite a start to our, uh, or, end of our or end of your breakfast, or while you're having breakfast. Um, it's great to be here today. Welcome to our panelists. I think it's pretty cool, actually, that here we are, on the anniversary of the person's case, and I get to have a podcast with three dynamic leaders and people who will bring lots, discussing the fact that we are gonna have an election soon. And for the third time in Alberta's history, we will likely have a woman who will be premier, and that will be a first in Canada. It's a shame we have to point these things out, but I think we do need to point them out and keep it, keep it top of mind, especially on a day to like today, the anniversary of the person's case. So welcome, folks. Thank Lo you. Lots and lots to unpack here. So I think we should probably get into it. I do want to caution folks that so we can't be fooled by voter intentions. There's a lot more going on. And as we've discussed previously here, we know this is a two-horse race, and it's just getting started. 
So despite some of the numbers that we've seen in the research, that you've heard in the research, and parent cracks in that UCP fortress rural Alberta that we see, it is still safe to say that the UCP are, are a lock in, in most rural ridings uh, in the province. But voters themselves are, vote, are, are really focused on their own personal priorities, their own personal households, whether that's healthcare or affordability. We're kind of in a, in a me moment as folks really are focused on what's most important to their own individual households. But the election itself is setting up to be a clash of personalities. So it's an interesting dichotomy between where the electorate's at and where this election is likely we can go. We can see roadmaps for both parties for victory. So let's get into it, shall we? A lot of interesting data, Lauren. So let's jump right into it. Um, look, so can she win with the new leader? You're right. So I would say that Danielle ran the most competent and the most impressive campaign by orders of magnitude. Um, I think that um, Rachel Notley would be unwise to underestimate Premier Smith's ability to campaign. Um, but the reality is that there is a path and it's actually already in what Premier Smith has been talking about. So we saw, for example, inflation pocketbook issues. You might say, I haven't heard um, Premier Smith talk about that very much, except she has her way to get into that. Is actually standing up for Alberta in, in a really roundabout way. It's a sovereignty act because she's saying, look, the provincial government, not best place all the time to address inflation, to um, deal with some of these macroeconomic factors. So I'm gonna take it to Justin Trudeau, I'm gonna take it to the prime minister, and here's how I'm gonna do it. Now, we also see a lot of folks worried about the Sovereignty Act, and I'm sure that we're gonna get into that. Sure. Um, but the devil will be in the details. The price of admission for being Premier of Alberta is standing up to Ottawa, and the way that she does it in the next few months, I think, um, will we'll set her apart. And then we'll talk a bit later about healthcare as well. For sure. Deb, what do you think? Is there a road to victory here for uh, the, new, uh, the new premier or re-election? Well, I think it'll depend on whether she can really be premier for all Albertans. And I think the data shows us that where her support lies uh, right now, there's definitely a, you know, there's a divide. And I think it'll be very telling in terms of who her cabinet is uh, when we see the cabinet appointed later this week, because that will tell us how she's planning on looking at it. But I think people are focused on healthcare. They're, they're focused on affordability. Uh, we're looking for a credible growth agenda for economic growth. I would also argue that it's, it's, you know, it's also about how do we grow the Alberta economy. That speaks to the talent piece. That speaks to education. That's something else we haven't talked about. So I think um, it's going to be a very interesting seven months to watch how those policies unfold. Uh, there's some big issues ahead of there, and I just wanted to say one thing, you know, the boomers, the defectors, all those people grew up in Peter Lougheed's Alberta, and they are very disenfranchised and very disappointed, and I don't think that should be underestimated at all in terms of bringing them back, because that's the reference point, and that's why they left. So Kelly, building on that, what do you see? I mean, you've been watching this through, uh, through an independent lens for a long time. <laughs> What do you see? This is a very different than the previous election when Premier Notley was elected in 2015. She kind of snuck up on people. Well, there's no sneaking up this time. Yeah, I think that is a main difference, that the NDP has become a truly mainstream party in Alberta. I think back to my first days in the legislature in 2001, where, you know, 
there wasn't the idea really that they could form government. Mm -hmm. It was the idea that they could battle the government from the outside. You know, the days of Brian Mason, the idea right. wasn't that they necessarily formed government. And I think, you know, that is what is striking in these numbers, that there are people willing to vote for the NDP, and it's not just a 2015 blip. It's not just about the entitlement of the PCs in 2015. It's the idea that maybe uh, they're, they're a party that we would accept as a government. And I think that's different than what people thought a decade ago and just shows how much things have changed. They thought there was, there was going to be three parties in Alberta. And I think what this truly shows is, especially right now, there, there are only two parties in Alberta. Yeah. You know, the, the Alberta party, which people had hopes were as a middle-of-the-road party are nowhere right now. That could change. They're nowhere right now. So and it, it, it is striking um, how we always wonder in politics, we talk about the turmoil within parties. I always wonder about how that resonates with regular people. Mm -hmm. And the polling in this shows me that it does resonate. People are craving stability. They don't want to see these fights play out. They don't want to see these inter-party fights play out all the time. That, that does have an effect on voters. Yeah, no, I mean, it's really interesting. It definitely seems to be a two-horse race, with all due respect to the Alberta party. But it's that shift on the, some of the numbers that we saw on economics and favorabilities toward Notley that were really surprising. And, and you're right, the, the UCP doesn't get a free pass on the economy where they're going to have to earn it, as Lauren has suggested. Well, look, for those of us, and there's a few of us around here, political junkies, we know that winning Alberta is a bit of a three-legged three race, if you will, right? You've got to have two of the three. You've got to have uh, two of either Edmonton, Calgary, and the rural side. So given that it looks like the NDP are pretty locked in Edmonton and, well, the UCP have got a pretty strong hold on, on true rural Alberta, well, that means that Calgary is the golden ticket. So what does that mean, Kelly? What do they need to focus on here in Calgary? Well, you know, I think it, it, it gets rid of the idea that there's not political diversity in, Alberta, in Calgary, <laughs> especially, which we've talked about Calgary being this conservative bastion in this provincial election. It is going to be the race to watch, I think. You know, that is interesting. And I think also um, there, the, the appeal for Calgary is also more similar in, in to other areas than, than you might think. It is about health care. It is about inflation. And I think um, the thing that Daniel Smith will have to do is, you know, that she has to walk a very uh, careful balancing act in these days ahead because she has made a promise to her base, the people who elected her, that she will double down. She will not pivot. She actually said that to me in an interview. Mm -hmm. I will double down. And, and the question is, how do you make something like the Sovereignty Act palatable to people in Calgary? How do you make um, a tearing up Alberta Health Services and ter tearing down institutions in the province palatable? And that's what we're going to see in the next little while. She has to introduce the Sovereignty Act. The question is, how is that Sovereignty Act defanged? How is it made acceptable to a general population and still acceptable to her base? Still the feeling that she hasn't walked that back. And I also think she has campaigned to now from the outside. When you're in government, inflation is a much more difficult issue. It is very difficult for governments to deal with inflation without hugely difficult choices. Look at the federal government struggling with it. The Bank of Canada raises interest rates. Everybody hates that. They give some targeted funding. Everybody is mad about it. When you're in opposition, you talk about the price of food. Rachel Notley's uh, commercials 
have been very similar to Pierre Polyev's right now, mm -hmm. talking about the price of eggs, talking about the price of carrots, of carrots right? It's <laughs> yeah. very similar. And they're well-funded. They've got strong ads up. Right. And you can do that when you're in opposition. Governing through a time of high inflation and turmoil like this is a lot different. So... So Deb, kind of building on this notion that Calgary could really be the battleground. I don't want to take away from some of the small cities and small ur smaller urban areas because they're going to be really important too. If uh, if Miss Notley doesn't have to run the table, it would prevent her from having to run the table in Calgary if she she gets some inroads in in some of those smaller urban areas around the province. But from a Calgary perspective, you're president and CEO of the Calgary Chamber of Commerce. What are you hearing from the business community out there? What are you hearing from Calgarians about what the issues are going to be and 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 uh, how this election is going to play out here? Well, what, what we're hearing is that the business community needs stability. I just wrote that, you know, they say location, location, location for real estate. This is stability, stability, stability. And anything that compromises the ability to attract talent, to attract opportunity, to continue to diversify the economy, to realize the potential that is in front of the, the, the city and the province from an energy transformation perspective, you look at the pathways to net zero, what that really means for Alberta and for Canada. Uh, anything that compromises our ability to seize the moment uh, is is being reflected with, uh, you know, is being focused on because that's really where we need to go and anything that compromises our ability to attract capital. This is, you know, our, our energy sector was built by, the, by being able to attract foreign capital. We need to continue to do that in order to realize the, the, the transition uh, that lies ahead, the the uh, attraction of companies to continue to diversify the economy. So that is actually something that people are extremely focused on. They want, they're worried about labor. The labor shortage is huge. So that means, again, we go back to that post-secondary education. We go back to the education system. How do we attract people to Calgary? How do we keep them here? Do we have a branding issue? That's a conversation that we're having as well. And so what we really need to make sure is that, that I mean, those are the uh, those are the issues that are being uh, raised constantly. Yeah, that, that it's very, very interesting because when you look at sort of the Sovereignty Act on one side and maybe some economic ta taxation, corporate tax increases on the other side, UCP versus the NDP, it's an interesting choice for, sure. for, for Calgarians uh, and Calgary businesses to, to really I mean, make the, that stability and uncertainty is in play in both I mean, And the tax, co the de the tax conversation does, 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 does surface as well. Yeah. But I think the stability piece is, is huge because without that, we don't continue to um, stay on this path for economic growth. So Lauren, how, did, how does she win in Calgary? I mean, Kelly mentioned that she's looking at double down. We heard earlier this week that she intends to have a pre predominantly rural uh, cabinet and she wants to ru rule or govern from a rural perspective. How does that translate in Calgary? What does she need to do here from your perspective? So I mostly think operationally. So there's a couple of things. She has to start a charm offensive right now about who she is and what that actually means is not talking like a talk show host anymore. Not every idea has merit. Um, not every idea is worth considering or every decision worth reconsidering, for example. Um, she has to have one consistent set of policies and talking points. Um, and that doesn't mean changing who she is. She's here to, you know, she's the type of politician who wants to challenge systems and, you know, that's 
fine. That's this party. That's who she is. You don't have to change who you are, but you have to be consistent. So that's part one. Part two is I would immediately launch attack ads. Everybody says they hate them. They always <laughs> but work. But they always work. Yeah. I would start reminding Albertans right now of how they felt when they elected Jason Kenney to a huge majority. And they said, we've tried the NDP thing. We don't like it. Let's do something else. <laughs> she has to remind Albertans how they felt about Rachel Notley back then. Uh, whether that works or not, we'll see. I mean, those, the, the, the um, language around how Albertans feel about Rachel Notley really surprised me, and that may not change. They may still say, you know what, she's way better than whatever we're dealing with with, with Danielle here. And then the third thing is, is ground game, right? We, you said um, that uh, Notley's team has ads going. They have had them for months. Their ground game is ready. They're attracting great candidates. I don't know what's in their war chest. They don't tell me, but I assume it's in pretty good shape. Um, so Danielle also has to get going pretty fast on um, meeting Calgarians, building the war chest, attracting candidates mm -hmm. who can speak to Albertans and Calgarians' priorities right now. Because there is no you know, multi-level campaign in various areas. There's only Calgary. That's it. So the campaign is Calgary. So let's keep, let's build on that. Let's dive into the numbers. We've, we've done some research on perceptions of leaders. We did some interesting, uh, you know, word associations and, and just the way they look. We heard about caring when it came to Rachel Notley and, and, and we heard things like radical when it came mm -hmm. to, to Daniel Smith. Lauren, to stick with you for just a second on that, you know, only 22% of Albertans had a overall positive impression of Daniel Smith, 47% mm -hmm. for Rachel Notley. That's pretty stark. Yep. Um, so building on what you said, we've seen already the NDP have been very effective in getting some ads out there. They started it in the spring, maybe even earlier, but they're back mm -hmm. at it again now. They're good ads, they're well-funded. What, what, how is this gonna shape those dynamics of those, those personal numbers for the leaders? How's that gonna shape this race in your mind? What do you see sort of boiling out on that? I think it's significant depending on the economy. So if uh, in six months, um, Albertans are brought, if the economy is in okay shape, which I genuinely don't know because there's some concerns nationally and I'm Deb's much better place to chat about that with you, um, then voter turnout won't be terribly high and um, tempers won't be high either. Mm -hmm. Voters might just sort of say, well, you know, the economy is in okay shape. Danielle's crazier ideas don't seem to have gone anywhere, and um, this is fine. You know, especially, and this is one we haven't gotten to yet, if the infighting stops, if the government mm -hmm. can look yeah. like a government for a period of time, then they'll be in, in better shape. Yeah, it really had a big drag on the previous Hugely. administration, and it remains a challenge. Some of that inherited baggage I, I referenced. Uh, That's right. I referenced earlier. Yeah. I, and I just yeah, jump, jump in. in I think that's a really good point. And uh, Randy mentioned her meeting with every single caucus member yeah. last week. And, yeah. and I've also heard that had a good impression. What she has going for her is she's not Jason Kenney in terms of caucus relations. Mm -hmm. And she has made a point of trying to build bridges even with people she argued with during the, the leadership race. And there is respect for that. You know, there is respect for her reaching out. There's also respect for the comeback story that is mm -hmm. Danielle Smith. She yeah. was in the political wilderness, and there are UCP members who recognize that you know she, uh, you know she left in 2015, kind of with her tail between her legs, and now she's back, and now she's premier. And many people weren't predicting this a year ago. And there's mm -hmm. still a lot of respect for that story. And I also think you know 
Randy made the good point. Rachel Notley would be very happy if the election were held today. The election is not being held That's today. Right. There's lots of time for um, a lot of peaks and valleys to come in both political fortunes. And what Daniel Smith has going for her at this moment is low expectations. And I say yeah. that right. sincerely because Jason Kenney got elected with such high expectations yeah. there was, yeah. and went into a terrible time to governing. But there was almost no way to satisfy the expectations that he had riding on him from the conservative movement as well. So I look at the trust numbers in this yeah. poll, mm -hmm. and 11% of people have no idea about Daniel Smith. That's the highest no idea, and, 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 and that's interesting to me too. There's room there for people to be convinced. Oh, to be a fly on the caucus retreat wall mm -hmm. uh, going on right Lake. now yeah. this yeah, week in right? Sylvan Lake. Because on one hand, I think you're right. It's seen as a bit of a breath of fresh air. People feel they're being listened to in caucus. There's a sense mm -hmm. that we're building something together from folks that I've spoken to. On the other hand, it's the backdrop of some of the numbers that they're seeing. So it's got to be a really strange thing. The other thing is, is we talk, you talk, Kelly, about that seven, six, seven month lead to the next election. That is a lot of time. And you know, you're, there's a lot of stuff coming out now, as we know. There's been a lot made of it, a lot of, of, of negative noise that it's out there. But, you know, some communications people would say, get that bad noise out of the way, get past the holiday season, and you've actually got a new runway come, uh, come the spring. So, and, and if you kind of pile on someone too much, Canadians, Albertans yeah. don't like that. They want people to have a fair shot. So you kind of get that empathy almost that, that may reset this. But Deb, kind of going back to some other numbers that we've seen, specifically related to Rachel Notley, something that was surprising to us is she's actually dining in perception, um, uh, Premier Smith, on economic issues, yep. which is traditionally, I mean, that is a lock for the UCP. Yep. We, you know, the UCP is able to pretty much walk in and, and have that vote, if you will, in the bank. But, you know, we're seeing that, that uh, Albertans have indicated their faith is shifting in favor of the NDP on the economy, 37% compared to 32 for the UCP. Does that surprise you? And, and what are you hearing from the business community on economic concerns? Well, I think that absolutely, I think that is a surprising number. Yeah. I, that <laughs> actually is not what I expected to see. I think some of that's grounded in um, the fact that there is some uncertainty in terms of who is going to be in cabinet and what their strengths are. We look at the economic uh, horsepower that was there. Um, think about Doug Schweitzer and how important he yep. has been to the economic uh, diversification and what's happened since he was in the portfolio of Jobs, jobs, economy, and innovation. So he's gone. What else is going to happen? So from an economic standpoint, I think that the NDP represents a measure of stability. And you know, we've talked about how uh, Rachel Notley's been focused on affordability. She's really been hammering that. I also think that lost in this conversation is something interesting. When Rachel Notley was Premier of Alberta, she basically came to Ottawa and said, you're buying TMX and you don't have a choice. And that's actually going to be very important for, for, the, for, for Alberta when it's done. It's something that is going to boost our economic fortunes, and uh, that's not insignificant. And so if people remember the fact that she was behind that TMX uh, purchase, that's, that's significant. So I, could, I would look at, one, at that number. Um, but the other thing is I think that you know, when you look at the NDP, you know that you know, there is a focus on, on labor. And 31%, we did a survey, Canadian Chamber did a survey, 31% of the survey, those surveys said the top concern for them was the labor shortage, the talent. Mm -hmm. And so again, we go back to how do we bring people to Alberta? How do we educate the next generation? So that Alberta brand is Alberta really brand. important yeah, to business. 100%. And so yeah. we have to watch very carefully because as, as, as Premier Smith rolls out some of her policies, 
what does that do to the Alberta brand? And we will talk about the Sovereignty Act, but when you look at the millennials and the young talent that we have to bring to the province to continue that economic diversification uh, and growth, they're going to look at the province a little differently. We've talked a lot on this podcast about the perceptions of Alberta and Calgary across the country, and it's something that I know is very much top of mind in our, our membership at the Chamber, but, but also amongst everyday Albertans and Calgarians, I think there's a growing sensitivity of how we're perceived in the rest of the country, and that talent attraction, but also keeping our, our young folk here, our kids yeah. here, to, <laughs> to, to continue to build Alberta. I often say, if you want to solve climate change, you want to take on the greatest challenges of our time, it's all happening here in Alberta. It's yep. happening through oil and gas and energy industry. It's happening through renewables. It's happening through tech. But that message doesn't always get through. So let's stick with it. Let's get to it. The Sovereignty Act, that elephant in the room. I mean, this was a major part of, was. of, of Premier Smith's campaign for the leadership. It was very effective. At least it seemed to be. She it certainly did. Uh, well, she she won the, the leadership. It was set close the tone. For set the, the tone. Yeah. There's a better yeah, way of putting it. Put everybody on the back foot. They had to. Um, but our, our data is definitely showing that, look, 82% of Albertans are aware of it, so there's high recognition. That's a huge number in politics, mm -hmm. this far out from an election. Um, but when asked about the Sovereignty Act, only 26% of Albertans thought it was an effective way to stand up to Ottawa, stand up to Trudeau, um, if you will, which is obviously, as, as Lauren said, a, an entry point, a you know, it's, it's table stakes for, a, for an Alberta politician. But 47% of Albertans, uh, don't believe it's the best way to stand up to Ottawa and Trudeau. Deb? Worst idea ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you're not going to mince words is what you're telling me. No, oh, really no yeah, I'm going to yeah. tell you. I, I, I actually was quite exercised when I saw that when the Sovereignty Act was tabled, and I know that um, it's uh, something that will continue to cause the perception of Alberta to be one that wants to be surrounded and have barriers around it. I don't think that helps from so many different perspectives. When you're looking at interprovincial trade, when you're looking at um, how do you work with the rest of the country, we are part of a confederation. When you look at Quebec in 1976 and the Parti Québécois, the entire province voted for that, that agenda. That People forget Montreal was the largest city in Canada. Right. By a country mile. Yep. And then we saw uh, René Lévesque elected. We saw companies leave or downsize their presence. And it took Montreal 20 years to recover from mm -hmm. an economic standpoint. So the uncertainty, the perception of uncertainty will affect our ability as a province and corporately to attract capital, to attract investment. And it makes absolutely no sense. The, the Financial Times this weekend had a great editorial about the uncertainty that's been caused by Premier, uh, the Prime Minister Trust and her policies. There's a risk mm -hmm. premium that will be settled on Alberta that will really compromise investment. And we know money goes to where it can get the best return. If there's a higher risk premium associated with Alberta because there's more uncertainty, it's not coming here, it's going elsewhere. And we need capital to continue to flow here. Capital, talent, you know, Adam Smith. We have the land, but we need the labor and capital. So that's your biggest concern is that attraction of capital. Does it concern you more than sort of the, the specter of an NDP economic approach that some people in the business community have, have concerns about? I think that this, I think absolutely, it is overriding where the NDP could land because of what it could do to the province from a perception standpoint and an investment standpoint. I just, I don't understand um, where this actually benefits Alberta. And I just wanted to say one more thing. We have had um, premiers in the past, and I will reference Peter Lougheed. If you look at the correspondence between Peter Lougheed and René Lévesque, no, they did not agree. But they knew how to discuss positions that were relevant respectfully and find a way 
and Lahi did the same thing with, with Trudeau Senior. So you can deal with Ottawa. You don't have to yell. We've done far too much yelling, and it has not been helpful. All right, Kelly, let's, let's build on that. What's the perception? You're a national reporter. Obviously, you're based here in Alberta, but you've got I get that the mail. Now. Yeah, you, yeah, get, yeah, the you mail. get the perspective. What, what do you think, this, how do you think the Sovereignty Act is being perceived across the country in Ottawa, you know, amongst the, the Globe readers? Right. I think, I think federal politicians, first of all, are doing their very best to ignore it, and that includes mm-hmm. the new conservative leader, Pierre Polyev, who would, I think... I don't think has spoken about it. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but so. doesn't want to, um, wouldn't want to. It doesn't uh, doesn't play anywhere but Alberta and Saskatchewan. I, you know, I think it's I think it's ridiculed to a certain under extent. I think it is not understood. But I, I I think that's part of the problem. It's not understood even by a lot of Albertans. A lot of Albertans have awareness of the act. But even if you're in the thick of it, do you do you know what she's? You we don't know right. what the legislation is going to say. We're getting drips and drabs. We've um, got word, you know, wait for the text of the legislation. It's it's based on a, you know, a, a, a document that, you know, the, the authors of the document say it's unconstitutional. So I think there is uncertainty, not only that a type of this act will be introduced, but also the content of it, right? <laughs> There's a big question of how any federal government will react. Will they... You know, will they immediately um, ask for some kind of reference case on it? Will they challenge it? Will they try to ignore it until it's used? You know, that those are the questions. But I think Deb is right that the very existence, the very discussion about it creates a level of uncertainty. And, and even amongst Albertans, I'm also struck, though, in your data by as, you know, about 20, I'm, I'm going to round about 25% of Albertans say we shouldn't be picking fights with Ottawa. About 25%, about a quarter, say yeah. we should, and the Sovereignty Act is a good way to go about it. Another 50% roughly say yeah. we should be standing up to the Trudeau government, but the Sovereignty Act isn't the way. That is striking, too, that there's 75% of Albertans who think there should be a That's strategy right. of you know fighting in some way with the Trudeau government. It yeah. is That's interesting, and I think point. also... And of course, no one understands this unless you're a prairie province, but no one understands also what it's like to be Alberta and the highs and lows of the resource roller coaster and what the instability that that brings to our politics and the relationship with Ottawa. I also think it's difficult for outsiders to look at why the creation of the Sovereignty Act at all and where the sense of grievance comes from. I think it's really difficult for other parts of the country to understand that just because they're not in Alberta's weird position of having this resource, which we know is both a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Well, there's also some schadenfreude because they look at us and say, well, you don't have a sales tax. Yes. And so if you have, a, if you have issues with revenue generation, you could change it if you decided to change your fiscal construct, but that's not happened either. Okay, that's a whole other podcast. That's a whole other, that's a whole other I just podcast. wanted to say there's shadow but, across But, the I mean, look, look we, we do see 75%, Lauren, of, mm-hmm. of Albertans basically feel under attack or feel they need to defend themselves mm-hmm. against Ottawa. It goes to a point that, that you made earlier. That includes a lot of NDP voters as well, or potential voters, if you will. Um, but there's a lot of hubbub about something we don't haven't even seen yet. I've, I've never seen this kind of kind of churn before. We've actually seen an act yet, but it, it's clearly got some angst out there. Even in rural Alberta, we're seeing numbers that say it's not resonating outside the, the membership base, and that's a big one. But still, it, it, it's not res- resonating outside that base. 
Should she abandon this? Should she continue on the Sovereignty Act? Trade? She can't. She can't abandon it. Uh, or we'll have another leadership race, which is, you know, great nightmare. Um, <laughs> she, no, she's not. She's not. What she is going to do, I think, um, is the actual text is going to be far less exciting than what some of our um, fellow Albertans would be looking for. I suspect, and I, we will find out at the end of November. I suspect its bark will be significantly worse less more worse than it's by it's going to be boring really <laughs> boring it's going to be turn off the taps type legislation which i would of course remind you was introduced by the notley government yeah. um i think the other thing is my understanding is the mechanism is a debate a motion in the legislature if any time there is a law that um they want to challenge um, we're already seeing a sort of trial run with respect to the federal government's firearms legislation. Um, I think the premier will say, look, the sky hasn't fallen yet, um, and it's not going to. We're going to try some things we haven't tried before and see if it works. But I also think uh, in contrast to uh, Rachel Notley, she will always say that you know that I will be a stronger advocate than she is. Um, and w we'll see. But I, I just, in six, she has seven, eight months to govern. There's not much time to get anything done. No, you can't secede right. from the Federation in six months. Um, you can't even try. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't see that. that that's a good point. The Notley government did yep. actually cut off wine from BC. That seems yeah. like a million years ago, but mm -hmm. did, and also said it would not part participate in an increase to the carbon price when the Supreme Court, Supreme Court, not Supreme Court, judgment came down on Trans Mountain. So there mm -hmm. were small moves by the NDP as, as opposed to a sweeping move, which is the Sovereignty Act. Okay, we've got him, and we could spend probably a whole other podcast on Sovereignty Act alone. This is twice. This is good. Um, but some of our other data really showed some of the issues that are that are really important to Albertans that are that are really driving Albertans right now. And and we saw 32 percent uh, looking for stabilization of healthcare funding, but also it's frontline based. And I, I I single that out specifically because that seems to be where the need, where the drive is. We need more nurses and doctors and those frontline services. We know there's a lot of backlog after COVID, um, for sure, but we're certainly seeing that. And then close behind as a secondary issue, again, and this is one that's growing quickly, is won't surprise folks here, but it's about affordability, right? It's about inflation, those pocketbook issues. I, I call them household issues, right? Because people are, are starting to struggle out there. So how does this factor into a campaign? Kelly, I'll start to, uh, with you. What do you think? I think it's going to be strange because we're we're going to we're going to have a government, a UCP government that's acting like it's in opposition in many ways. It's going to be mm -hmm. we're we're going to we're, we're going to have attack ads that are strong. It's going to be hard to know who is the underdog in this. Yeah. Um, already, Daniel Smith's Twitter feed, the pre Premier Smith's Twitter feed, is full of attacks against the NDP, aligning Rachel Notley with Jugmeet saying with a carbon price increase. And I think that is going to play out in the campaign. Who is going to cost people more? Who is going to um, have yeah. the better plan for inflation is going to be a huge part of the campaign. And you're going to hear 
both candidates talking about grocery prices and natural gas prices for home heating. You can see that pivot in her acceptance speech a little bit. Right. And you're going to see Daniel Smith make some moves, I think, pretty quickly, um, some targeted things, like they've been hinting very broadly. They are going to adjust H, assured income for the severely handicapped, to make that in in line with inflation. So you're going to see a boost there. And she's going to be... Um, she's going to be counterintuitive on some of those things, some of the things you wouldn't think a conservative government would do, mm-hmm. she is going to do. On, on health care, I think, you know, that was kind of the ignored part of the leadership race in a lot of ways. Daniel Smith's words on getting rid of all of the AHS senior leadership. Um, we're seeing her talk about, you know, kind of uh, quiet firing of Dina Hinshaw. I'm not sure how to characterize it, but it's, it's, it's something like that. Um, and, and she's talking about uh, big changes to the system and talking about shoring up frontline workers. And I, I think that it's, you know, it's, it's problematic because every jurisdiction in the world is struggling for healthcare workers. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen any plan from her that would tell me that we are going to get more nurses, that we are going to repair the relationship with doctors who've been scared off in and a lot of ways it, by this problem. She did say it, sorry to interrupt, but she mm-hmm. did say that in her acceptance speech, she specifically cited repairing those things. But mm-hmm. Lauren, how does this translate? Just stick with healthcare before we go to the, maybe the affordability piece with Deb in a second. But, you know, she's t- clearly articulated a plan for healthcare. Is it mm-hmm. what Albertans are looking for? Does she need a nuance and maybe emphasize that frontline piece? Yeah, she's going to have to sell it um, and say sort of, look, everything everybody else has tried hasn't worked. So give me a chance. Your problem, again, is that you can't, um, you can make very little change in the healthcare system in six months. That is not enough time to get much done. Um, So now, I actually think the government's on a better trajectory than it was. The deal with the doctors is signed. So the the war on doctors has ended with a ceasefire. So that's very nice for everyone. Um, but ambulance wait times, lack of primary care physicians, none of that's going away. And the concern, I think, and I'm always interested in any politician who's got new ideas about how to fix this. But Danielle, pardon me, Premier Smith's problem will be it's kind of a third rail for her. She is always at risk of going back to COVID because she wasn't responsible for it and she's so used to being on the outside looking in. But again, she's the premier now. So she can't fall into you know talking about the plight of the unvaccinated or calling a public inquiry into COVID because that's going to reflect poorly on the government she now leads. So um, she'll have to talk about healthcare. She has to. It's a genuine problem. Politics aside, we've got huge issues. But she's going to have to, as I said before, come up with a very clear set of policies and beliefs and talking points that a resonate and b are consistent. Well, and it's it's one of those areas where I think you know there is an advantage for for former Premier Notley in the sense that she's got that association with being caring and and seeing to be yeah sort of. If I can space. interrupt you, the no, most beautiful it. place to be is opposition. Oh. Yeah. particularly with healthcare. Yeah, isn't that true? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Deb. Yeah, just I just wanted to add the boomers mm-hmm. care about healthcare. Yeah. yeah. More now than Absolutely. ever. And 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 so that I don't think that issue goes away. Yeah. And you know, talking to anybody in the in the medical community right now, so many people have retired, left, walked away. You know, whether you were an emergency doc, whether you were a nurse, people have left the profession. And so everybody around the world is dealing with a deficit in terms of healthcare professionals. So that's, yep. that's uh, something that is not unique to Alberta, but it is something that everybody here is very focused on. 
And so that's going to definitely be something that we're going to watch. And I think, you know, again, talk to Jim Dinning, and he'll tell you that the cuts that he put out, put forward under under Klein, in hindsight, probably not the in, in terms of healthcare. In hindsight, not the best move. Hindsight's you know, a wonderful it's thing. It's going to be interesting to see where healthcare plays in Ontario and Quebec. Same thing. We saw the number one issue was healthcare. They've just come through in elections where that was not the one, number one issue. I think that affordability piece is going to creep yeah. in here, and, mm -hmm. and certainly that might play out a different campaign. We're coming to the end of our time. I want to give you each a chance to, to, to quickly go around. Um, we're six months out for an election. What kind of campaign are you looking for, Kelly? I'm, I'm not looking forward to it because it's going, <laughs> it's going to be nasty. So it's going to be, you know, it's going to be very hard fought. It's, you know, yeah. and I've, I've divisive, I, divisive. Yeah. So I was on mat leave the last campaign and, you know, I just got to sit back and read about it. It was lovely. But this time, you know, it's going to be very, very hard fought. It's going to be, you know, our, the world has changed. Social media has changed campaigning. Um, and I think yeah. we are dealing with really difficult issues. We thought we were dealing with difficult issues in, in 2019. And, you know, it turns out we didn't know what difficult issues were. You know, we have a world where, yes, commodity prices are high, but we are headed into a recession almost certainly next year. We don't know how that's going to shake out in Alberta. We have to rebuild a health care system. We have, um, you know, we have polarized politics. We have two larger than life characters. I think, mm -hmm. you know, it, it is... Yeah. You know, I was talking to Rachel Notley in an interview last week. She was saying the issues are so big. She doesn't think it's going to be about personalities in this campaign. And I wish that were true. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I think there is also going to be a lot of focus on likability and the people themselves. And and it, it is curious to me how many bozo eruptions or past mm -hmm. remarks from candidates as a whole are brought up and factored into this race and how voters are able to process that all. Or will there be water under the bridge come? Right, yeah. right. Well, there will be new. There will be yeah. new. There will certainly be yeah. something saved for a few, <laughs> few days or a few weeks before Election Day. Deb, what are you looking for in this campaign? I'm going to echo what Kelly said. I think we're going to see a very nasty campaign. It's going to be very aggressive. We'll see two women very... Um, you know, in, in, in interesting positions. We saw that, we saw that when uh, uh, Danielle was running against Alison Redford. So I, but I think it's going to be uh, more aggressive than, than that round. Mm -hmm. um, I really am hoping that we'll see issues rise above some of the nastiness and really see the leaders come out with some strong policies that resonate with Albertans, whether it's economic growth, how to make sure that we do uh, you know, work with the rest of the country to make sure that we can be the province that we know we can, we can be. And uh, if it gets... Tune, I think people are going to tune out too because the, the, you know we, we watch the U.S. Mm -hmm. politics and everybody talks about the U.S. politics and how divisive it is. To have it visited in Alberta is we're, we're weary already, mm -hmm. and I don't think that um, a, a, a divisive campaign and a nasty campaign is going to be very helpful. It's people will start to tune out. Well, both, both sides are going to be have to be careful not yeah. to get exactly. too too nasty. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's going to be a, a fascinating a campaign, but it would be a missed opportunity not to talk about some of these issues, right? And it could damage that brand if it's all infighting and divisive. Lauren, mm -hmm. last word to you. Well, I would just echo what they both said. I'll also be curious um, whether social issues will matter. I think some folks and some politicians 
would like to not talk about them ever. Frankly, I would prefer not to talk about social issues when we have serious challenges as a province, I think. Um, and, and some of that polling is really interesting around this, I think it's, you correct me if I'm wrong, something like 60% who say they're sort of, they don't care either way um, about, or it, it doesn't impact, impact their, their vote. vote yeah. Uh, um, where the candidates stand on LGBT uh, issues yep. or support for indigenous people. And that in some ways is where uh, the NDP is most comfortable and strongest. Mm -hmm. I think they really see themselves as the voice of minorities and the voice of uh, the voiceless, if you will. And Danielle Smith will want to be a country mile from anything related to social issues because she's been there because there were the right. eruptions of the campaign 10 years ago and but she can surprise people on that front too. she I can think, yeah. yeah but the other thing too is the younger generation of voters that are That's now true. starting to pay attention care about social issues they do mm -hmm. and that actually is something to watch very carefully because they will also have a voice in this campaign i think one thing we will see yeah. in this campaign is we'll see the younger generation that new generation of voters 18 and up to 45, say, being more active, more involved, and more vocal about what they want to see. Boomers are one part of it, but the younger generation is another, the Gen X, Gen Z, whatever, gen, whatever letter you want to use. Well, it really <laughs> feels like we could go on and on. There's so much to unpack here. Luckily, the one thing we do know amidst, amidst all this uncertainty, the one thing that is certain is that we're going to have an election in the next six or seven months that'll determine all this out, and we'll have six or seven months to parse all this out, discuss this. Thank you so much to my guests. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Deb. Thank you, Lauren, for joining and help us sort of get through all this. I think it sets up for a, an interesting discussion going forward, and get out the popcorn, folks. Mm -hmm. It's going to be interesting to watch. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone. Thank you. Western Edge is powered by Navigator, Canada's leading high-stakes public affairs firm. Our show is produced by Kayla Duty, Zoe Kirstead, and Monica Verk. I want to extend a very big thank you to our panelists this week, Kelly Kreiderman, Deborah Yedlin, and Lauren Armstrong. This was a really incredible conversation with some of the brilliant minds that are keeping a close eye on how politics, policies, and pending election will impact our province. If you wanted a closer look at the research findings referenced in, in this episode, you can find the report with the highlights on our website, navltd.com. If you enjoyed this episode, follow us on Twitter at Western Edge by Nav to catch our next episode. As always, thanks for joining us and listening to The Western Edge.